in faith. Now look around. Keep your hands up. Just look around for those of you that aren't visitors. Take just a second and say hello to your neighbor if they're a visitor. Tell them thanks for worshiping with us today. One of, the, uh, one of the things that I do while we're worshiping is I wander around and start telling people thanks for worshiping with us. So I made it all along the top row up there, didn't I? It's good to see all of you up there. Thanks for uh, having a bird's eye view. We get to see everything. Before we jump into John, I'd like to call your attention to something in the bulletin. This is mostly... Not exclusively, but mostly for our, uh, our family, the DCC family. If you're visitors in town and you really want to come, you're certainly welcome. But if you look on the back, we have a congregational meeting on August 17th, our annual congregational meeting, where we are going to um, present to you the ministry plan and budget. And I want to encourage you to come to that, especially if you're a member, because uh, you're going to be voting on it. Let me say just a couple of words about this. This year's budget is going to represent a 5% increase over last year. So we're going to ask you not only to, uh, we're letting you know now for the next several weeks, we're going to ask you not only to pray and to vote on this, but if you vote on it, we're going to ask you to fund it too. Yeah, there is that piece, isn't there? Somehow we do have to pay for whatever we fund. You know, when I became a missionary, they told me, they said, uh, here's how much money that you have to have. And uh, every year I'd get a raise, and they said, uh, here's your raise, but you have to raise the money to get your raise. <laughs> well, it's no different than here, is it, Mark? We're, we're, we're raising our funds right here. We are going to ask you for a 5% raise, and the reason we're going to ask you that is because um, we would like to start putting in place some building blocks to grow our church um, from where we are right now. And uh, that's what that 5%, it, it partly represents stuff for this staff. You'll see that. That's all transparent. In fact, uh, on the back of your bulletin, you can go and you can download the documents and see them yourself. It's all open, transparent. Um, but we'd like to start putting in place some more solid blocks to grow our church. The ministry plan this year will look different than what you've seen in the past. So if you're used to the past, um, download one and take a look at it. What we did as a staff is we organized it along our three areas of our mission statement, which is on the very top of that back page of your bulletin. Caring community. We want to be a caring community for our county and for the world, and I hope that you visitors find us to be a caring community. We want to grow in our intimacy with God, and we want to go passionately with the message that we believe in Jesus. We're not ashamed of that, are we? We believe in Jesus, don't we? Yes. And, uh, and we should tell people that. And so we've organized all the things that we're doing under these three categories, and we want you to take a look at it. 
Now, uh, we also want you to remember that the congregational meeting itself is not a time when we discuss it. So we're going to invite you into a conversation with us between now and August 17th. And we're going to give you lots of venues to come. And we want you to come and meet with us. On August 5th, we have our elder meeting is an open meeting. They all are. But this one is devoted to anybody that wants to come and ask about the budget ministry plan. But in addition to that, all the elders and staff are making themselves available. We'd love to meet with you and have a conversation. If you go to our website, on the front page, on the left-hand side, it says, if you would like to look at the documents, click here. And then right next to it, it says, if you would like to meet with somebody to talk about what we're doing, click here. When you click there, it lists every staff member and every elder, and you could pick the one you want. If you want to talk about worship, click Mark. Family ministries, click Mark. Janitors, click Mark. <laughs> Communion, click Mark. What else, Mark? Do I haven't clicked before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, all, the, all the pastors, all the staff, actually, and um, elders are listed there. And what will happen is you just click, and it asks you for your name and phone number, and then we'll call you and say, let's go have coffee. We'd love to talk. We'd like to invite you into that conversation so that when you actually vote, you know what you're voting on. You know what you're voting for. So uh, think about that. If you have time in the next four or five weeks to uh, meet with one of us, and let's have the discussion about what we're thinking of leadership for the church. Okay? All right. So you can even do it right now from your smartphones. Okay, we're in a series, as Mark said, Wind of Change. We're looking at the Holy Spirit. We named it Wind of Change because the word, it, it doesn't matter if you're in Hebrew in the Old Testament or Greek in the New Testament, the word for wind, I mean for Holy Spirit, or spirit, I should say, is the same word for wind or breath. It's all the same word. And so, in fact, there comes that breeze. Every time you feel that breeze, think about the spirit. And whenever the spirit shows up, guess what happens? Change occurs. That's what he does. At one level, God loves this creation. And at another level, he's redeeming it. So every time God is involved with us, he's doing something to help us grow and to come to know him better and to love him more deeply. Not just us, but all of creation. Paul says that all of creation eagerly awaits. They're yearning for the redemption that comes to us first. Animals, plants, all of it. All of it. And so God cares about this entire creation. I was telling a bunch of the visitors up there, you know, we work, have to work really hard to screw it up in the amphitheater. And the worst that happens is I have a bad sermon. All you got to do is look at the mountains and you still have a good day. Right? What a fantastic place, right? Here, God cares about this place. And so whenever he moves in our world, he's just quietly changing things. He's helping us to love him more deeply. He's helping us to relate to him in better ways. And as we love him more deeply, guess what? I love you better. Each of you. I love you better. If you had known me 30 years ago, you'd say, yeah, you definitely love us better. <laughs> and I suspect that's true for all of you as well. Wind of change. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, turn to John chapter 4. We're in the, we went through the Old Testament, looked at the Holy Spirit, and we came away with two basic conclusions. When the Holy Spirit is mentioned... Um, he's mentioned in context of creation. He's the one that breathes life into us and uh, creates things, but he also represents future hope. When the Holy Spirit is mentioned, it's about hope in the future because 
they had come to the conclusion, or God helped, tried to help them come to the conclusion, I should say, that they were broken beyond repair, just as we are. And there's a future day when this spirit is coming. And so we, last week we looked in uh, Luke 4, when Jesus came to Nazareth. Today we're going to look in, look in uh, John chapter 4, the story of the Samaritan woman. And for many of you, it's a very familiar story. I recognize that. It's a fantastic story. It's actually one of my favorites because of what happens. Um, verse 4. So verse 1 in chapter 4. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. Interestingly enough, Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians when he says in 1, he said, I didn't come to baptize. I can't remember if I baptized any of you, to be honest with you. <laughs> so he says the same thing here, that uh, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. A lot of your Bibles will have a little note in there. Uh, I think it's a good note that he didn't actually have to go through Samaria. In fact, there's uh, plenty of evidence that the Jews would go around Samaria rather than go through it because the Jews didn't like the Samaritans very much. Because when the Assyrians, and we talked about this for those of you that were here, back in the 8th century, when the uh, Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, and deported them off back in the 8th century B.C., they left a bunch of people there to, till, to take care of the land. They didn't, didn't take everybody away. I mean, it's like, you know, uh, they came and they conquered all this northern kingdom and the land all belongs to them to take everybody away. Well, their asset isn't worth very much. So they left a lot of Jews there, Jewish people, to take care of the land and tend it. And those people began to intermarry with the people around them, uh, things like that. And they became the Samaritans. They were known to the Jewish people largely as half-breeds, if you will. They were half-Jewish and half-not-Jewish, and so they were fairly despised. In addition to that, they only read the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. They didn't, they didn't read the rest of the law, and so most of the Jewish people had nothing to do with them. So they would go around Samaria rather than go through it. So when John says, now he had to go through Samaria... That is a, that's a word that John uses all throughout his book to let you know that this is a divine appointment. God's doing something here. He's setting these people up. That's what he's doing. When I was flying back from uh, Ethiopia um, about six or eight weeks ago, um, I travel enough that I have premier status on the airline, so I get to pick my seat. So when I got ready to board, I, uh, they gave me my boarding pass, and I said, this isn't my seat. They said, well, it is your seat. And I said, no, I know, where I, I know where I fly on 777s, and this is my seat. And they said, well, sorry, that's all there is left. You get that seat. So I said, okay. So I boarded the plane. It was the very last seat on the airplane. If you've ever been to the very last seat, two things about it. Your seat doesn't recline, and behind you is the bathroom. Ka-chung, ka-chung, ka-chung. Right? That's what happens. It's a 17-hour flight. So I sat there, and I just said, okay, I'm game, Lord. You, you knew this was going to happen, um, so I trust you. I have no idea why you put me in the back of the plane. I hate the back of the plane, <laughs> but I'm here. Next thing I notice is here comes a young guy with a very, very, very pregnant wife and four children and two or three older people, and I said no. <laughs> I, even I have limits. <laughs> no, and sure enough, they're all around me. So I thought, well, I might as well jump up and help them because the guy had tons and tons of bags, all these kids, the oldest one was six, I found out. So I helped him stow all his bags and get everything situated and get the kids situated. So I'm just like a dad in there working, you know, and helping and everything. So we take off. It's the roughest flight, no lie, I've ever been on across the North Atlantic. 
we were bouncing so hard that they would only fill our glasses half full because it was splashing out. So you can't read, you can't sleep. So I had nothing to do but sit next to this guy and talk to him and help him with his kids. Come to find out he's a devout Muslim from Somalia. And, um, and so for eight hours of jump, bumping up and down and screaming kids, um, that's what we did. About eight hours into the flight, he said, um, I've been reading your Christian Bible. And I said, oh, maybe I'm about to find out why God stuck me in the back of a plane. <laughs> and I said, uh, why, why are you reading the Christian Bible? And he said, and I hadn't said a word to him. Um, other than the very beginning, he told me he was Muslim. I told him I was a pastor. And, um, and he said, well, as I understand it, Islam and Christianity are connected back with Abraham. And when I figured that out, I decided I should probably read about Christianity and learn about it. And I said, what have you, what have you learned? And he surprised me. He put his arm around me. He said, uh, I think you're the first true Christian I've met. And I said, why? Well, we haven't, you know, we haven't said anything. He said, because for eight hours, my kids have done nothing but yell and scream. And we've bounced up and down. This is a horrible flight. And all you've done is help us and serve us. That's all. And so we got into this discussion about now the next eight hours are fascinating. I'll tell you about that some other time. The discussion is fascinating, but about about discrimination and about the way people treat each other in his own country and in our country. He had observed things in our country. Discrimination runs through all of our bloodlines, sadly, doesn't it? This is what we have here. So we have discrimination, but we also have a divine appointment. And I realize that's what God had done with me on a 17 hour flight, <laughs> a divine appointment. So he came to the town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot uh, ground of Jacob, had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, and by the way, that's, that's a very strong word. He's actually exhausted. He sat down by the well. It's about noon. He's been walking. He's hot. He's tired. He's worn out. When a Samaritan woman came to draw the water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. She had a pillar of comment. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then as a parenthetical comment, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans or legally, I mean, uh, literally, Jews do not share the same cups, the same utensils with Samaritans because they're considered unclean. And yet here Jesus is doing what Jesus does best. He's not afraid to become unclean, is he? He touches dead bodies, women with issues of blood, all kinds of things. He's not afraid to become unclean, or a better way to say it is every time Jesus touches on something unclean, it becomes clean. Right? So here he does the unthinkable. He asked this woman for a drink. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you, given you living water. <laughs> the woman says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. It's probably about 100 feet. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds. And Jesus answered, first of all, he, you'll notice he doesn't answer any of her questions. I just love that about him. No, he, he, he responds with a challenging statement that takes her one step further. 
everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What a fascinating statement, isn't it? Fascinating statement. One chapter before in John 3, we looked at this early on. He's talking to Nicodemus about what does it mean to enter the kingdom of God. You have to be born again. You have to be born of the Spirit. Now in John 3, he does something totally unacceptable in culture and unheard of. In John 3, he goes to the highest person in Judaism. Aren't you the teacher and you don't understand these things? And in the very next chapter, he goes to the lowest person. Sorry, ladies. But she's a woman. Later on in the chapter, the, Jews, the, the disciples are going to come back and they are flabbergasted that he's speaking with a woman. Because he didn't do that. Teachers especially didn't do that. But not only is she a woman, she's a Samaritan woman. And not only is she a Samaritan woman, but she's um, admittedly a failed Samaritan woman. She's had five husbands and she's living with a man who's not even her husband. She's very promiscuous. In fact, she's coming out at noon to get water by herself. The women in this part of the world never travel to the well by themselves. They, they usually come at noon. That may speak to how low in society she actually was. She was that alone. So Jesus just breaks all the cultural taboos and reaches out to this woman, the very bottom of society. That should give us all hope. I look out there and there's a lot of you that are low. No, just kidding. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? Shouldn't that give us hope that, that God is not a respecter of persons? It does me. You didn't know me before I was a Christian. Good thing. I'll tell you the story someday if you want to know. But I would have been there. That would have been me for a variety of reasons. Um, I was constantly in trouble with the law, drugs, the whole thing. And Jesus found me. And that's what he did. He reaches out to this woman and he says these amazing words. Now, one of the things we've done is we've worked very hard to connect the Old Testament to the New Testament. I'm going to read to you just a short passage out of Jeremiah. Go way back. There's more than one. Uh, but this is a particularly interesting one given the passage that we're in. This is Jeremiah chapter 2. In verse 11, I'm going to jump right into the middle of his questioning of Israel has a nation ever changed its God? <laughs> what a great question. Has a nation ever changed its gods? And yet they're not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. Listen to this. They have forsaken me the spring of living water. There it is. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug, dug their own cisterns, but their systems, cisterns are broken, and they can't hold water. That's a prophecy from way back, way back, several hundred years. And Jesus comes along and says, if you had asked me, I would have given you living water. And a spring will well up into you. You know what he's saying right here? She didn't get it right away. But what he's saying is, God has come. I've come. 
I am this spring of living water. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. And she said, I have no husband. And he said, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And she goes on and says, I can see that you're a prophet. Woman, Jesus said, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The chapter before, he just said, if you want to be part of the kingdom of this one true living God, then you have to have the Spirit. You have to be born again. He just said that in John 2. Principle number one, you want to be part of the kingdom of God, of this one true living God, the God who made all this, then you have to have the Spirit. Principle number two, John 4. Once you enter into the kingdom, you get to experience something far beyond what was ever experienced before, and that's worship in the Spirit. All of a sudden, we have something brand new on the horizon that we right here we haven't seen before. He doesn't say much about what worship in the Spirit is, but he gives us some clues. He said it's like a fountain that's gushing up. What happens? How many of you have been around a fountain in a downtown city? What happens if you get too close to a fountain? You get wet. It just gushes, Right? In other words, what happens to you becomes contagious, whether you realize it or not. You become a fountain, whether you realize it, that starts getting people wet around you. That's another way of saying that your life matters. Your life is important. For the first time in history, God himself places his spirit within us, and we begin to impact people around us. The first time you help somebody, that's needy. That's what happened on the airplane. I wasn't even thinking about that. I'm thinking about a poor dad. I'm thinking about poor me because I'm in the back of the plane. But then I'm also thinking about a poor dad with all these kids. So I just started helping him, right? Um, I wasn't thinking in terms of, ooh, I hope I have a Christian witness here. <laughs> you know? Maybe at some point we'll get to talk about the gospel and then what makes a Christian. No, no, it's just I just helped the guy. That's all I did. And, um, and he got it. I didn't get it. He got it. That's the way the Spirit works. He got a little wet because he sat next to me. By the way, I asked him, one little tiny funny thing, I asked him, how come, uh, how come you don't, every time you try to offer to help with the kids, uh, your wife turns you down? He said, well, in our culture, the way it works is she takes care of all the physical needs, and I'll offer to help, which is a way of showing her honor, but if she accepts it, it dishonors her. She feeds the kids, clothes the kids, and then I'm responsible for the discipline of the kids. Oh, okay, interesting. And he said, yeah, and I'm not doing a very good job. <laughs> and I said, uh, why aren't you doing a very good job? He goes, because I'm talking to you. <laughs> he goes, you watch my wife the next time we're talking. And one of my kids starts to scream. So we're having a conversation. Sure enough, I heard like the two-year-old start screaming. So I glanced over, and she sits there for about a minute. Pretty soon, she looks across the aisle at him. And when, she gets, when he looks at her, she goes, 
That was his rebuke. <laughs> I didn't sit down with the idea, I think I'm going to have a Christian witness here. I wasn't thinking that. I was just thinking, I'm just going to be faithful to the Lord and uh, help this guy out. And uh, maybe somewhere along the way, we can, the door might open. And he opened the door. He recognized it before I did. That's what's happened. That's what this is all about. Okay, I want to close our time, but I want you to listen to these three old passages, Old Testament passages, that predict this moment, okay? One is in Isaiah 12. In fact, they're all in Isaiah. We could have picked several more, but I didn't. I just picked these. Isaiah 12. In that day, you will say, I will praise you, Lord, although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Is that true for you? Is it true? The Lord has become your salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Isn't that language beautiful? Remember in Ezekiel 36, when the Holy Spirit comes, we looked at this several weeks ago, the Holy Spirit is like, cool, refreshing, cleansing water when he comes. We're thirsty, we're thirsty. You will you, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day, you will say, give praise to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done. There it is, the promise to Abraham. Make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. All the world. In just a moment, we're going to have Hughes come back up here. And that's what we're going to do, aren't we? We're going to proclaim our belief in this one true living God. Second one is in Isaiah 44. A few chapters over. Listen to the uh, imagery of the water. But now listen, Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Isn't that great? Isn't that great language? I'm going to pour water on this dry, cracked ground, and it's going to become soft pliable, fertile, I will pour out my spirit. That's a Hebrew poetic way of saying, I'm going to pour water into each of your lives, dry and thirsty, and that's the spirit that's coming. And then the final one is in Isaiah 55. Rob quoted from Isaiah 55 this morning. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. So if you're thirsty, come. If you're thirsty, come. Why spend money on what is not bread? You labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give the ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I've made him a witness to the peoples. Verse five, surely you will summon the nations who you do not know. There it is. See, how does he begin? Come who are thirsty. And what happens when you come? You will summon the nations who you do not know, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, 
the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. This is a familiar verse, isn't it? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. That's what you get when you turn to Jesus. You have mercy. And to God, for he will freely pardon. That's what happens when you come to the well to drink. This is brand new. And he says it to a Samaritan woman out in the middle of nowhere. One of the most incredible principles of our entire Christian belief system. And he says it to a woman out in the middle of nowhere. A couple chapters later, John 7, closer toward the end of his life, this is at the Festival of Tabernacles. Festival of Tabernacles was the time when they moved out and lived in tents. And that's when they celebrated uh, remembering what God had done in the 40 years of wandering. They had two big events, ceremonies that they did. One was they lit the candles because to symbolize the, uh, the uh, pillar of light that led them for 40 years, God's faithfulness. And the other one is the high priest would go over to the pool of Siloam with a, a gold pitcher, dip water in it, come back into the temple, and he'd throw it onto the floor of the temple, and they would praise God because he had, in the desert, he had given them plenty of water to drink. So this is on the last day of the festival when the priest was getting ready to throw the water, John chapter 7. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a very loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit. So what do we learn about the Spirit? When Jesus came, the Spirit came right along with him. The Spirit gives you life. The Spirit causes that well to gush up within you, and the people around you start to get wet, whether you realize it or not. That's what happens. It takes that dry soul, that parched, dry ground, and begins to give you life. That's what the Spirit does. I'm so grateful to live on this side of that. Rather than hearing about it, I get to enjoy it and experience it. Have you experienced it? Do you know the Lord Jesus? In a few moments, we're going to celebrate communion together. And one of the things we do in communion is we have lots of people down here to pray. And I'm going to invite you to come down and pray. And if you don't know where you stand with Jesus, come down and talk to us. We love talking about Jesus and the Spirit. Come talk to us. If you know, if you, if you resonate with that dry, parched soul and you're wondering where life comes from, here it is right here. Spirit of God. That's where it comes from. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Thank you for sending your spirit that we might, um, we might have life and have it abundantly. And even beyond that, Lord, thanks for giving us your spirit so that we might worship and the people around us might get wet. What a wonderful thing. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come down and take an offering. And uh, we actually take two offerings here. The one that gets passed is the one that makes it possible for us to do what we do here. Again, how many of you are visitors? Let me see your hands again. I would just like to say thank you for you because our church isn't big enough to pay for this, and you guys are the ones that actually make it possible. 
uh, for us to do the amphitheater every week. So I'm especially grateful for you. Thank you for that. Uh, and to our church members, thank you for your generosity. It's a, it's a delight. So uh, go ahead and pass the offering. The other offering is uh, when you leave on your way out at all the points, you'll see a little, you'll see little uh, like uh, lanterns there, and it says community needs on it. If God put a song in your heart, you can put money in there, and our benevolence fund helps people in the county who are needy. Uh, I think last year we gave out like $50,000 to needy families. Uh, every dollar that goes in there goes out to somebody that's needy. So um, God puts that on your heart, enjoy it. But in the meantime, enjoy the pews and enjoy the privilege of giving.